Good Monday morning. We're going to hit some pretty heavy stuff today. So I'm going to ask you to listen carefully and also engage your brain. And you may end up in a different place than I am, but that's, that's humanity and that's freedom in Christ and that's fine. The first bit of it's not going to be hard, I don't think at all. I was asked in an email, um, what are the differences between brothers and neighbors in Scripture? We're told to you know, do this for our brothers, do this for our neighbors. And the, the answer, if I just dive to the end of it, is functionally not much of a difference at all. Generally speaking, when we speak of brothers, we are speaking of men and women who are people of faith. But Jesus expanded this and said, don't just treat your own people kindly and share with your own people. And certainly don't just share with people who can share back, but instead to expand our area to include not just people of faith, but also everybody. And then he told a story of the Good Samaritan, which is an amazing story. And he, here's a Samaritan who were looked upon as the religious enemies of the Jews, by the Jews and by the Samaritans. They both considered each other religious enemies, heretics. And yet the Samaritan cared for the Jew, spent money on the Jew, showed love for the Jew. And Jesus said, that's the way we treat our neighbors. Everybody is our neighbors. Even our enemies are our neighbors. And we are to treat them with the same loving kindness and the same sacrifice that we would treat our brothers, our sisters, the people of faith. Now that was a super radical idea then, and it's a super radical idea now because there are consequences to believing that our duty is to love our neighbors as if they were brothers and sisters, people of faith, people who walk along just with us. Now, why is that so radical? Because it's not comfortable and churches try not to do it. Yeah, here's where we get into the harder part. When Jesus freed us from the temple system, we no longer had to go to a temple to meet God. We no longer had to talk to God through a priest. Now I'm aware <clears throat> that in the Old Testament, a person was allowed to pray without a priest and they were able to approach like that. But when we talk about worship, it was centered around the temple and, and later times, uh, the teaching and sharing and reading aspects of it were shared in synagogues. Synagogue is a word that just means congregation, very much like another word that we misuse. It's not our fault, English changes. Uh, English always is on the move and a word changes with it. When King James uh, ordered the scholars to translate an English version of the Bible, he was not a scholar in Hebrew or Greek, although he was good with languages. He wasn't a good man by any measure, but he was good with languages, but he didn't do the translating. When they came back with their version, he ordered quite a few changes because if people had the Bible that they were just handed with this new translation, it would cause him trouble as the head of the church, which in Britain, the monarch is always the head of the church. There were things such as uh, immersion 
that baptism immersion. So they didn't, they didn't immerse in the church by then, 1611. So he made them do a transliteration. That's where you take the Greek term and you just put in English letters. And so baptize or baptism uh, instead of immersion. And so he ducked that one so that they could still sprinkle or pour or have any other form of baptism uh, as an official church thing and not get in trouble with scripture. He had them plug in the word Easter in one place. Most King James versions have had pulled that out now. Um, by the way, those who are King James only, you do need to be aware. It has been revised more than two dozen times heavily. And what you have doesn't read anything like what was printed in 1611. There were other problems that he saw. He didn't like um, deacon being what it was. Um, so he made them, again, transliterate deacon from diakonos and, and because by that time it was an office of the church and it was doing stuff other than what scripture said. But then there was another one which turned out to be more widespread and pernicious in some ways. He didn't like the idea of us gathering freely, independently, outside the temple to worship as we pleased. And so he ordered them to change the word ecclesia, which just means a gathering, a called out group, and it can be civic, it can be religious, it can be charitable, but any group, it's almost like a GoFundMe, but in person, where you come together by mutual agreement for a particular task. He didn't like that. And so he instead put the word in, which in 1611 meant a chapel, a location, church, because he wanted to control the worship. And I have walked in the fields of Sanker, Scotland, and, and many other places where uh, soldiers rode down men, women, and children and killed them because they were meeting in a field, freely worshiping God without the authority of the established church. And this, this is why a lot of people's faith in Breton died. There are a lot of reasons for the massive atheism there, but this is certainly one big stream. Jesus died so that we could leave the temple, have a relationship with God, and be portable temples. In 1 Corinthians, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So where we move, the Holy Spirit is moving, and we are agents of the Spirit. We are the temples of God. But for the last 2,000 years, Constantine, religious authorities, and civil authorities have tried to stuff us back into a temple and say, that's where you belong. Go into your buildings, worship your God there. Do your acts of contrition and your acts of charity there, in that building, among your own. And sadly, that's what happened. For about 30 years, I traveled, and I still do some. I mainly work now with hospitals, universities, law enforcement agencies from city, some city, mainly federal, a, a few state, and a couple international now. But from time to time, elderships or church leaderships will call me in and ask, why are we dying? Well, you need to know that churches are losing membership uh, of all stripes. The Southern Baptist Convention was just held here in Nashville, and it is splintering. Now, I don't think it's gonna go away. I don't think it's gonna die anytime soon, 
but you, you see the fractures, and, and this has been a long time coming in that group. It has been in the group in which I was raised as well, and the Churches of Christ. The Christian churches are a little struggling right now for their identity, but they're, they're, doing, they're doing a good job of the struggle so far. Disciples of Christ have almost forgotten their identity, and it, I, I do fear that they're about gone uh, if they don't find a way to, to grab some soil and hold on. I've talked to a sociologist whose job it is to track all of these numbers and the number of closed congregations is staggering. Why is this important now and why might this be controversial? Because I don't know if this isn't from God. Think about this. When I go to work with these leaderships, I'll ask to see their budget. And I've never really been turned down. There was a little bit of a hesitancy a couple times, but I don't read budgets well, and I don't like Excel sheets, so I'm not gonna try to pretend like I do. But what I do is I look line by line, and generally then I'll have to look up and I'll say, where are the widows and orphans in your budget? And they will generally, well, it's the benevolence line. Okay, um, where's Michael 6, 8 in your budget that all God wants from us? You remember that? You know, justice and mercy and to live with God, walk humbly with God. Where is that in your budget? What part of this budget takes care of that? And I'll go further. What part of your budget gets us to the right side of the equation in Matthew 25? Uh, you saw me hungry. You saw me naked. You visited me in prison. You came to me when I was sick. That sort of thing. And again, there'll be two things that they'll do. One is they'll run back to the benevolence line. And when they do that, I'll ask them, I want you to do the math. What percentage of your effort giving and daily work is that benevolence line? It is almost never that I find it going above 5% of budget, 5%. And that's what we're told to do and be that they will know we are Christians by our love. We are gonna be judged, Matthew 25, by how we went out and saw a need and took care of the need. That's very, very important. The Good Samaritan saw a man outside of the temple, outside of the congregation, outside there, and took care of them. Why is all this so critically important? because we've just gone through a great reset. There are a lot of problems with what's gone on in the world in the last 18 months with um, the COVID panic and the crisis over it and whether to wear a mask and lockdown and all of that. And as a scientist who also works for God, I've got a lot of strong opinions and a good handful of facts about these things, but I'm wondering if we didn't have a chance to have a grand reset of what Christians and church is supposed to be. You see, we don't go to church. We are the church. But if the church goes into the buildings and reestablishes temple where we have to worship in a certain way, and then we have to have staff at a certain levels, and we don't, for God's sake, we don't want our parents teaching our kids Bible, so let's have them a place where they can bring where somebody else can do that. 
and where somebody else can take care of this and somebody else can take care of that. We'll have them do that for us. Are we trying to undo what Jesus did in freeing us from this? Are we agreeing with King James? And trust me, you ever read a biography of King James and he was a Scotsman, so I'll apologize for all of it. You ever read a biography, you don't want to be anything like King James. Do you want to be like King James and twist and plug in making new words for chapel and such so that we go to locations rather than be free in the community to see, to do, to be. And in the last year, and again, I'm not, if you, if you give political comments here, they're going to be taken out because that's just not what we do. But most churches had to go through a period in most states of not meeting. And it was terrifying. And in Canada, it still is to me. Terrifying that the state re released its anger and used its coercion, force, power, guns, rams to enforce that churches could not meet. Yeah, and at the same time, they let other things meet. And the, gov the governing officials are never bound by what they bind upon us. And we all know that. It's not the point. Point is this. Had you known day one of the lockdown that it wasn't going to be two weeks, but more like 18 months, what would you have done differently? Would you have learned a language? Learned an instrument? Would you have read some of those books? Would you reevaluate where your money and your time go? And would you spend more intentional time with your children, your teens, and your parents, working with them to find ways to love one another? In our community, which I love it, we're, we're a red and yellow, black and white community, and very, very diverse. We have non-church people, and we have church people of various stripes. And immediately, we set up a card system where if any of our seniors or anybody that had uh, comorbidities needed anything, they just put up a red piece of paper, and these were all supplied uh, in their windows, and we would get to them. If everything's great, put it up a green one. Most people didn't put up anything, so we assumed they were great. If they just needed a favor, like a pharmacy run or something, a yellow piece of paper. Our sidewalks were full of drawings of scripture and little things to do. Do a dance here, here now hopscotch, and here walk backwards. And, and kids were out all the time, adults were out, filling the sidewalks of our community with sayings of joy. Uh, we even had put out in front of us, the people in this house love you if you need anything and arrows, and then we'd do scriptures. And young people, I believe that they were children merely because of the way the cards were made and written, that we'll never know, wrote encouraging cards to everybody and anonymously put them in our mailboxes. But after we were told two weeks, and after a month, we stopped doing that because we were, were getting ready to go back. And I want to ask you a question. What if we didn't? go back to the way we did things. I'm not, I'm seriously not opposed to church buildings. I've worked in them most of my life. Um, I'll work in them again 
I had opportunities last October when we were uh, we lost our job that I, and we had opportunities to go to many different churches. We had opportunities to go work in academia. We had opportunities. And then I looked at my life and I said, I'm not sure I want to be offered first violinist in the dance band of the Titanic. I got the feeling God's trying to get us out of our temples, just like he tried to do with Jesus and he's been trying to do ever since and into the community, into the stores, into the sidewalks, leaving encouragement everywhere we go, leaving cards of hope everywhere we go, sharing our money with the people that we meet, and then binding together, yes, as brothers and sisters, but we can do that now on phones and laptops, and we can meet in communities when we find out, oh, there are other people who believe there are other people who love. We can watch things together for a little bit and then get out of our temples, our homes, and do what we can, where we can, with what we have. And we never have to look at a budget and say, why, why is 75% of our budget real estate and staff? And why are we thinking we need to set aside $250,000 for one of our HVAC units that's dying, when that $250,000 to an HVAC isn't going to accomplish anything that Jesus said we were to accomplish. Or that Micah said, we need to reset. And maybe we shouldn't be in a hurry to join the dance band of the Titanic. But it could be wrong. So I'm not gonna make that decision for you. We have chosen to be a part of a fellowship which will be worldwide, self-supporting, but never stacking up money, always sharing, always caring. And I thank God for the thousands of you that have joined us already. Please share this. And if you wanna get rough and controversial, I invite you to build your own channel because we don't use this as a debating society. And all people here, they know this is just Patrick talking, just Bill and Catherine's son. What you do with this is up to you. And by the way, if you've got a great teen program that's helping your kid, I'd put money in that church. And if you're having a great children's program that's helping your kids, I'd put money in that church. But I wouldn't pay them to do my job you have a task here. So we're gonna to need to find, maybe not a middle, but a brand new way. Let's not waste the reset and run to the dance band. God bless.